0: Welcome to Tax Time, our monthly podcast covering the main tax developments in Ireland. My name is David Morn, Tax Associate Director with Grant Thornton. Today we will be discussing the latest in tax, including the new revenue code of practice for compliance interventions, update on exchequer results, upcoming share scheme filings, Commentary around eight had three, temporary reduction in excise duty on petrol and diesel and the new finance COVID-19 and miscellaneous provisions bill 2022. I am joined by my colleagues, Una Ryan, tax director, and i Costello, corporate finance director with the Grand Thornton Ireland. Revenue released a new brief on the new code of practice for compliance interventions on the 11th of February, 2022, outlining the new changes being made to the current code of practice. Revenue have noted that this code sets out details of revenues revised framework of compliance interventions. This framework provides for a consistent, graduated response to taxpayer compliance behaviour ranging from easily accessible opportunities to voluntary correct errors up to criminal investigation for serious cases of fraud or evasion. The new code now separates revenue compliance interventions into three levels, being level one support compliance, level two challenge non-compliance and level three tackle high risk cases and practices. It also sees the removal of historic aspect queries from the current code of practice and introduction of risk reviews at Level 2. A key point noted in the new code is that unprompted qualifying disclosures may be made with respect to any Level 1 intervention, a prompted qualifying disclosure may be made with respect to any Level 2 intervention, and no disclosure may be made with respect to any Level 3 intervention. Revenue have also noted that this framework of interventions will further enhance our real-time engagement with taxpayers using insights from PAYE modernization to expand real-time compliance management of our segmented case Base while incorporating our traditional tax audit approach. This new code of practice comes into effect from the 1st of May 2022. The Department of Finance published their figures to the end of February on the 2nd of March 2022, noting that tax revenues were 20% higher than 21 and 10% higher than the same period in 2020. The Department of Finance also noted that Income tax receipts remain robust at €4.7 billion euros to end February, up 17% on an annual basis. February is a non vatu month but on a cumulative basis, receipts were strong, up 27% compared to 2021, although the annual comparison is distorted due to the introduction of public health restrictions in late 2020. Fat receipts were up 10% compared to the same period in 2020. Total gross voted expenditure to end February amounted to €11.6 billion, €0.8 billion, or 7% below the same period in 2021. An exchequer surplus of €0.9 billion Euros was recorded to end February. The 12-month rolling exchequer deficit, a better measure of underlying results, stood at €5.7 billion Euros in February. Commenting on the figures, the Minister of Finance, Pascal who said, While recent trends are positive, we cannot become complacent. It is crucial that we continue to make progress along the road to recovery. Budget 2022 set a framework within which we can reduce the deficit and restore public finances while continuing to invest heavily in public services, particularly in capital infrastructure. Revenue would like to remind employers operating share schemes and trustees of certain approved share schemes their obligations to meet their filing requirements by the due date of the 31st of March 2022, in respect of 2021. There are various returns to be filed depending on the type of share scheme, such as form ESA for restricted share units, free discounted matching shares, employee share purchase plans, Restricted Shares, Convertible Securities, forfeitable Shares, Phantom Shares, Stock Appreciation Rights, Growth Hurdle Flowering Shares and so on. Form RSS1 is required for Unapproved Share Options, Other Rights to Acquire Shares or Assets which are awarded to Employees and or Directors. Form Keep1 is required for Keep Share Options. Form ESS1 is required for Approved Profit Sharing Schemes. Form SRS01 is required for Save As You Earn schemes, and Form ESOT1 is required for Employee Share Ownership Trust schemes. Revenue have included details of these various share scheme filing requirements and have provided a list of common filing errors issues on their website, which include, all monetary value should be reportable in Euros, the use of non-Euro currencies is not permitted, leaving blank rows in between blocks of data may prompt an error message in the Form ESA, Unit share price should only be used if specifically asked to do so in the return. When asked to include total market values, the total shareholding value should be entered. When copying and pasting from different files into the return, attention should be given to not to transfer scientific or non-numeric characters into the numeric fields on the form, or the use of correct decimal separator, i.e. decimal points rather than decimal commas. On the 22nd of December 2021, the EU Commission published a proposal for the third anti-tax avoidance directive. This new directive introduces criteria for a abortable presumption for considering and undertaking a shell entity, new reporting obligations and even penalties in case of non-compliance. The directive will ultimately need unanimous approval from all 27 EU member states and is now just moving into the negotiation phase. These proposed rules will aim to ensure that entities within the EU with limited operational substance are unable to benefit from certain EU and national tax treaty benefits. An at-risk entity, under the current proposed rules is an entity which earns more than 75% of its revenue from passive income, is engaged in cross-border activity, and outsources significant function and decision-making processes. This is another development being proposed at EU level in the international tax base and could be introduced to Irish legislation as early as the thirtieth of june twenty twenty three with application from the first of january twenty twenty four. Fuel costs have increased significantly in recent weeks due to the international te- developments, with most individuals feeling the pinch at the fuel pumps across the country. In order to ease the burden on individuals, the government have introduced a temporary reduction in the excise duty applied to petrol, diesel, and marked gas oil on Wednesday, the ninth of March, which came into effect from midnight on this day. This new measure results in a reduction of it in excise duty of 20 cent per litre of petrol, 15 cent per litre of diesel, and two cent excise charged on marked oil gas. This measure is due to remain in place until the 31st of August 2022. Minister for Finance Pascal Dunahu TD noted, We've all witnessed a significant increase in energy costs in recent weeks, with prices at the pumps rising to record levels. This comes on top of increases in gas and electricity prices that many are facing. These temporary reductions in excise are expected to reduce the cost of a fill of a 60 litre tank by €12 for petrol and €9 for diesel. It is important that we are clear, the government is acting now with this excise measure to respond to the price rises we have seen to date, but also in anticipation of the further price rises we expect to see over the short and medium term. The causes of these price pressures are not within our control. The government has limited resources and it responded to help to ease the impact of these price increases, but we cannot cushion citizens from businesses from the entire impact. On the 4th of March 2022, Minister for Finance Pascal Dinhuyti published a new Finance COVID-19 and Miscellaneous Provisions Bill 2022 following from the government approval on the 1st of March 2022. This new bill gives legislative effect to changes introduced by the government from the 21st of December 2021 into January 2022 in response to public health restrictions as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. This bill includes changes to the EWSS regime, noting that from the 1st of February 2022, the rate of €203 per employee, followed by a flat rate subsidy of €100 per employee for March and April 2022. The CRSS regime, which ended on the 31st of January 2022, the tax debt warehousing regime extending period 1, the period in which certain taxes can be warehoused, to the 30th of April 2022 for taxpayers eligible for the COVID-19 support schemes. This also extends period 2, the interest-free period, for these taxpayers to the 30th of April 2023. The bill also provides that the COVID-19 recognition payment for healthcare workers will not be subject to tax, and much, much more. I am joined now by my colleagues Una Ryan, Tax Director, and Anne-Marie Koslow, Director in our Corporate Finance Department in Grand Thornton, Ireland. Hi Una Marie, thank you for joining me today to discuss what to consider when buying or selling a business from a tax and corporate finance perspective. And Marie and Una, there's been a lot of deal activity in Ireland in 2021 with reports noting that activity was up 58% on 2020 and this has continued into 2022. Is there any particular industries where you're seeing particular focus at the moment?
1: I'll jump in on that David and uh, thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, look at we're at the cold face of it here. There's 2021 was a fairly monumental year um, uh, from our point of view with a huge amount of activity um, and look at that probably was a bit of a surprise to all given um what we, we felt kind of might be coming down the tracks with COVID in 2020, even 2020 was a pretty good year. Um, but yeah, 2021 saw an awful lot of de- activity, probably a lot of the, the sectors that we saw activity in were tech. Um TMT, there was a lot of transactions. Now some of those were of a smaller scale, but it led to a lot of uh, deal volume. Financial services, there was a lot of big transactions and financial services, obviously. Um acquisitions of the Ulster Bank Loan Book, BOI acquired um, Davies. We here were seeing a lot of wealth management businesses, um pharma, medical, healthcare generally, biotech. Um, some some really really high end uh, large transactions in that in that area, and a lot of I think nursing home transactions ongoing. There's still a lot, of, a lot of activity in that space. Random um industries where we probably have seen a lot of a lot of activity as well is veterinary services actually, uh, attracting uh, pretty high multiples as well. So coming back off the off the back of I think everybody becoming a pet owning um. Uh, family or a person at, at home during COVID. Um, manufacturing industrial as well, uh, a lot of activity in that. So we were involved in um, sales of uh, insulation business, Ballyterm, and then also plastic business Gem in in um, in in Cavan, actually both in Cavan. And and again, look at it, it's across everything, really. I would say, um, and I would probably say as well, it's fueled by. Um, and a lot of strategic buyers, international buyers. Um, so a lot of those in- acquisitions were German, French and US acquirers and a lot of private equity activity. So we're seeing loads and loads of private equity. We've obviously got a lot of our own private equity um, firms here um, in Ireland, but a lot of UK actually um, activity uh, with them investing, seeing good opportunities here on the ground.
2: Yeah, and Anne-Marie, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned, sorry, it's Una here, and David, thanks again for the introduction. I'm glad you mentioned the veterinary practices because that is something as well, we've been seeing a lot from the tax side, um, so, it, um, and the nursing homes as well. And David, just to comment a little bit further, I know there's an awful lot of cash uh, floating around, and yes, well, 2021, 2020 and 2021 were quite a strong year. I think COVID, force an awful lot of like owner managed businesses or even family owners to start considering their exit plans to start even considering their expansion plans. And I think even though that was um, a huge disruption to the market, it did cause a lot of movement in the market. And again, to really echo what Anne-Marie said, I mean, if corporate finance are seeing it, then certainly tax are seeing it across the whole wide range of sectors. The one thing, though, I will say is that I do expect that um, renewable energy transactions um, will be coming down the line and that's going to be driven by the increased um, ESG, which is our environmental and social and sustainability governance. So there'll be a lot of movement in that as uh, a lot of the bonds and the financial services market uh, get to grips with that.
0: Yeah, thanks very much, guys. I suppose we're seeing definitely a lot of activity across all sectors. And what is interesting is the veterinary practices and a lot of activity there, particularly at the start of COVID when everyone was was, um, rushing to get a new dog to keep company during those kind of hard lockdown months now has resulted in something on the flip side in terms of veterinary practices being acquired, which maybe a lot of us hadn't forecasted. So that's very interesting. And as you said as well, Una, the investment in ESG and renewables and the traction that's getting in the market as well, is definitely something to keep an eye on and will be very interesting in the future. Um, Anne-Marie, if I'm a potential potential seller, what should I be thinking of in terms of marketing myself to potential purchasers, making my business look attractive?
1: I suppose I'd turn that on its head and say, what's a buyer looking for? <laughs> and how do we position ourselves and play to our strengths? Um, so look at I mean in 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 most instances a buyer will kind of know what type of industry I uh, need to say that they're they're going to be targeting at but you know a buyer is going to be in the main looking for some a business that has a strong trading history you know um stable but growing EBITDA so you can show a track record of of you know sustainable um sustainable uh turnover margins strong EBITDA but that but that's going somewhere I suppose that there's an upward trend in it as well. And uh, importantly, cash conversion, so you can generate all the profit you want. But if that's getting sucked up in capex or in working capital and it's not actually translating into cash, then that can um that can be can be sometimes a bit of a turnoff for for buyers. But again, it depends on the industry. and um, customer diversification is becoming um more and more important, I suppose, um given that there's shocks in. You know every kind of um industry be it COVID now with what's going on in, in russia and the ukraine you know that you have i suppose a diversification across your customer and your supply base um no particular concentration um um and again i suppose i'm speaking very generally you know you'll there'll be certain there'll be certain um businesses that that, that this is not possible for and i suppose that's all the financials um but the strength of the management team is pretty key um so i think for a seller um particularly your seller who's looking to to exit in a transaction it's about making sure you have a really really good management team underneath you that can carry this forward because as a buyer, you'll be looking to understand what walks out the door of the business the day that you actually buy it, and it'll be important to understand that the the management team are good and that you have, um, that they have the customer and supplier relationships to to ensure there's business continuity. Um, and I suppose I just add to that that you know, um, buyers are becoming more and more sophisticated now. Um. I've seen an all-merciful <laughs> level of granularity in terms of due diligence over the last 12, 24 months um, from financial, tax, legal, all the usual suspects, but more and more around commercials. Um, so understanding the industry better, understanding the tailwinds or headwinds that might be that may, might be active within um, a business or an industry, IT, environmental. So it's really about, I suppose, making sure that you have your, as a seller, making sure you have your, your house in order, uh, when it comes to being able to, um, to to market yourself for sale.
0: Thanks, Anne-Marie. I suppose we all tend to focus on the financials when maybe looking at selling and EBITDA being a word that a lot of people would throw around and, and mm. balance sheet strength and, and stuff along those lines. But the kind of customer base that you spoke of and the strength of the management team is something that maybe we can tend to forget, but uh, buyers are extremely sensitive to and look to understand further. So, so that is invaluable and annoying, uh, particularly for anyone who's looking to sell. Um, Una, what do we consider from a tax perspective?
2: Oh, um, so I suppose just to kind of take the theme that Anne-Marie has said, uh, was talking about there with um, the, the buyers are becoming more sophisticated. But I think that from a sell side, having a thorough understanding of the tax aspects of the sale or the deal is critical in order to ensure you maximise after-tax proceeds and then also to ensure a timely and efficient uh, deal process. Um, I think sellers and their advisors are now beginning to appreciate the value of having a thorough understanding of a company's tax profile, the areas of potential tax risk and the tax attributes. And this can be done, David, by performing a sell side tax due diligence. So I know Anne-Marie touched on, oh, buyers are having more and more of um, a due diligence and trying to understand the company. But actually, if we can get as a seller or a vendor out first and foremost, and that we actually highlight any uh, areas of potential risk. This will give us an opportunity to either make a disclosure to revenue to ensure that all these tax risks are identified so that we're not on the back foot when the buyer brings this. Um, And it'll also put us um, at an advantage during the deal negotiation process. We could also then identify some of the tax attributes. And what I mean by tax attributes is, is there significant tax losses there? Is there significant capital losses there? Is there significant R&D tax credits? And again, this can help with negotiating the sales price, because if a company has a huge amount of uh, tax assets or tax attributes that are of huge benefit to the purchaser, it can help in, in negotiating the sale price. Another thing that would help us is that, it would, um, if you can identify any pre-sale restructuring that needs to be done. So you've got assets that are on the balance sheet. Um, it could be that holiday home in Spain that you put through the company, but purchaser won't want that. So it'll give you an, an, an opportunity to um, do some pre-sale planning that you can just carve out certain assets, certain parts of the trade that are going to be sold to the purchaser. And it also means that you could end up being in a favourable tax position, so as to maximise some of the reliefs that are available, being retirement relief or revised entrepreneur relief. Um, So, in in other words, to facilitate a tax-efficient restructuring. Um, The other thing that will help as well is, um, obviously, you, um, most purchasers will ensure that they will want, sorry, a tax deed, so as to indemnify against any. tax that the selling company should or could have or should have paid to the revenue. And again, this will help us as sellers to understand what is happening and um, before that tax deed is negotiated.
0: Thanks, Aruna. I suppose um, vendor due diligence is, from a tax perspective um, are, are, are fantastic and in any cases we have seen, they've been extremely useful. They've exploited the sales process in terms of the review stage for both uh, buyer and seller. And as you said, given you a chance to structure your affairs in a, in, in, in a manner that is both attractive to a potential purchaser, but also in terms of maximizing tax reliefs available to to the seller and um, just making the the wholesale beneficial for all around for all parties. Um,
1: Actually just to come in on that it's a go, it's a really good point like it's the same for financial financial as well. I mean it does give you we're seeing a lot more vendor DD particularly or due diligence particularly where you're you're running a larger process. it just means all of the buyers or potential buyers get the same access to information but doing that vendor dd gives the seller a bit of time to get things in order financially as well you know i suppose if there's if there's um you you can manage the story a little bit better i suppose in terms of if there's if there's issues or there's anything that needs to be um that needs to be explained at least you're getting it out on the table it get it out of the table early so um totally agree on the vendor dd piece it's there's there's a lot of benefits to to getting that kind of done early doors as part of a sales process.
0: Thanks, Emery. And conversely, what should potential purchasers consider? For example, how do they go about finding suitable targets? What about financing considerations?
1: So look at the probably um, some of that is going back to kind of I suppose what we 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 went through there in terms of what the seller will be doing to prep the prep themselves for sale. But um. A purchaser, I suppose, will generally have a good sense of what they're looking for. I suppose, what's the strategic rationale for for um, any form of an acquisition? Is it geographical expansion, moving up and down the or down the value chain, buying in a new product or service, or buying a customer book? Um, what we are finding actually is we're doing a lot of work with um, with potential with with international buyers who are looking to get a bit more of a sense of what's in the local market. What are the opportunities and making approaches on their behalf, so that's um and that that has worked well I suppose in being able to kind of get that on the ground insight and bringing it back to potential purchasers, um and and it's just so easy now I suppose to 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 get information on companies there's so many awards as well for uh for various different um for various different um categories of companies particularly in Ireland, um, best managed and and all of all of that whereby you know really interesting companies are being are being profiled and and are really out there in the public domain so there there's a lot of um there's a lot of ready access to that information um I think in terms of financing, uh, as we know, there's loads of money in the market. People, there's, there's not much, you're not getting much for saving it. So there's a lot of um, of, of parties um, uh, eager to spend. Um, so we're finding a lot of acquirers actually are, are using their own balance sheet or their own cash resources. But there's also equally... Um, A lot of of funding available from um, the banks, Ireland, and we're seeing a lot of alternative financiers as well, Um, and also some um, of the UK banks are actually supporting some of the larger acquisitions. In fact, a lot of private equity here will um, part fund some of the acquisition through debt as well. Um, And as I said, look at financing generally, private equity is, is is very very active, and obviously they're coming with a. A ready, a ready pool of cash ready to invest.
0: Thanks, Anne Marie. That's quite interesting, particularly on the private equity houses who are willing to invest in, and obviously the international tax or international um, aspect of purchasers coming in from um, the UK and, and further afield, and also financing come from there. So that, that's quite interesting. Una, what should a purchaser consider from a tax perspective, particularly in structuring an acquisition of a target and the use of debt?
2: Yeah, so. Um Good question, David. Um, from a purchaser side, there is a couple of things to consider. Um, first and foremost is obviously the tax-efficient financing of, of acquiring the targets. Um, so generally, we'd see obviously cash for shares, um, and then you'd be looking at some of the exit strategies. So I know we're just going in, but if you're, you're going in, you want to be able to maximise on the way out as well. Other things is if you're financing the acquisition by debt, um, can you get any interest deductions and what way can you structure your acquiring vehicle or what we call in the game the co vehicle so that you can maximise interest deductions for the purposes of your corporation tax? This is really important. Um, other things are, um, is it coming from a group parent or even a group finance company and how are you structuring um, your existing group as it stands now in order to get the maximum tax deductions going forward? on the interest and even then for exits. Um, other things that we'd be seeing are are you going to do um, cash plus shares in the acquiring company and is this something that you're going to offer the exiting shareholders and how can this be structured in a way that gives benefit to you as the acquiring company and also benefit to the vendor or shareholder who obviously would be looking to exit again in a few years time. Other things that we're looking at is stamp duty and VAT planning. And it's funny, Anne-Marie said about the high volume of veterinary practices. This is something that really came to the fore in the last year because a lot of veterinary practices were sole practitioners. So when we as purchasers were acting for a purchaser, um, we had to look for the first time at acquiring goodwill and assets as opposed to acquiring shares. And that obviously gives different tax consequences. Shares, it's 1% goodwill and um, assets is your your seven and a half percent. We also had to take it into account VAT. Um, again, um, because we're acquiring goodwill, we're acquiring various assets and could transfer business relief apply in the VAT space. Other things that we'd be looking at from a purchaser side would be loss planning. So if you're acquiring shares, where does that come into your group? Can you come into your group that you maximise the benefit for some of the losses? Now, not a huge amount can be done because there's an awful lot of anti-avoidance rules around loss buying. But again, it is something that we are looking at and um, particularly we're acting for the purchaser and bringing certain companies into the group and where it sits in the group.
0: Food for thought there, um, Una, particularly on the structuring side and financing, um, which can get a lot more complex and difficult in an international group setting. and Absolutely. Access repatriation of funds from the Bidco or the target company. So there's a lot to consider there. And then also the, the interesting piece is, you're right. Historically, people would buy shares and it would be, everyone would know and it's straightforward, but the, as you said, with the veterinary practices, the acquisition of sole trader practices and trades adds a bit more complexity to it that we generally haven't seen recently. Um, so there's more to think in that regard. And Nuna, what would be your top tips for anyone looking to sell their business or buy another business? Um, I
1: think from the vendor side, Um, and probably seems a bit simplistic but understand what you want to get out of it I suppose Um, and and what I mean by that is there's so many options now for um, businesses to sell 100% out to a trade acquirer to sell 75% or so out to a private equity and then roll over the other 25% and reinvest yourself as a as a shareholder and go at it again for another 5 years or so where there's going to be massive growth with um potentially massive growth with the private equity and exit then you know there's a lot of different options open to vendors now um all of which are very attractive but it's more just to understand what what the buyer or what the what the seller wants i suppose the vendor wants um, from from the overall transaction um and I, I think another tip, um, I think the more of these you go through is, is get understand, surround yourself with the right people. And I mean that as advisors, of course, I would say that, but also I mean your team as well. You know, it, it does no matter how good um, an advisor is can be you know there's also there's going to be a draw on management's time or on the owner's time um when it comes to when it comes to a sale of their business and you want to make sure that that doesn't impact the ongoing trade you want to make sure that all of that is kept in order so it's 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 about making sure you bring the right people into the tent on the sale at the right time and that you don't take your eye off the ball on the business i suppose and um, that would be um probably what I would say to to a vendor and look at for buyers. It's it's about doing your homework, making sure that you've you you've done all the DD. As I said, commercial is 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 as if not more important sometimes than financial um, these days. We're seeing a, there's a lot of of very specific D, um commercial DD providers who who are doing a lot of, of work in that space. Um, um and 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 understand how you can manage your risk, I suppose, in terms of the go for it Get good advice on warranties indemnities protecting yourself against any um potential futures exposure and that's that's about making sure i suppose you get you get the right advice around the 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 acquisition documentation that's about it i think i'm sure there's a longer list david but uh <laughs> top tips
2: and i'll come in very quickly as well i think to echo and marie's comment from a vendor side to really understand what you're selling or like, like I think, anne you had said, are you selling 100% or are you selling 75%? So it's to really understand as a vendor, what are you selling? And also, is there any earnouts there that you might think, oh, I'm sailing off into the sunset. But actually, you have to stay on for a couple of years. You still have to meet certain targets in order to get your money. Um, and again, is there any deferred consideration there? And that, that would be, from a tax perspective, it's all paid up front. But it's understanding, sorry, it's knowing that you understand that. Also, another thing is, are you getting a mixture of cash and shares? And as Marie said, obviously, if you get that, you're there for the growth and the future exit um, could be very, very bright indeed. Um. So and again, for the vendor, I, for me personally, from the tax side, it is about understanding what is happening and understanding what you're signing up to, if you're signing up for anything or if you're having the clean break and sailing off into the sunset. But I think Anne-Marie, you'd agree with me that there's very little uh, clean breaks at the moment that we're seeing, particularly with the PE and any international buyers coming in. Oh, yeah. For the purchaser, then, um, top tips on this. Um, again, I'll echo Anne-Marie's uh, comments. So flipping to the other side, you obviously want to have a really strong um, well, indemnity, which would be a tax deed, um, that you're protected, that um, if any um latent tax liabilities are there or something awful should come out of the woodwork that you'd be covered and you'd have recourse to the vendor. Um, Also, I think from the purchaser's perspective is that particularly if they're a very large buyer or an international buyer and they're already operating a number of trades, I think they should consider their intended strategy for the group and ensure that the correct entity acquires the business so as to avail of some of the tax relief that we talked about being the interest deductions or even the loss and the losses, Um, and then also to be mindful of any future exit. Um, If you're looking to get out that it's structured in a way that can get the best tax answer for you, which would be participation exemption. So again, as Anne-Marie said, quite a lot to consider, but these would be just some of the highlights.
0: Thanks, guys. There are some invaluable tips that I'm sure potential purchasers and sellers will be jotting down in their notebooks now to, to be aware of down the line. Una, finally, what should individual shareholders be aware of from a tax perspective after selling their business?
2: Yeah, so I touched on it there when I was talking about the vendor. A lot of it is around the earnout out consideration and deferred consideration, David. So for a lot of our individual shareholders, they automatically think, well, I haven't gotten the money yet. So obviously I can't pay the taxman. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. Um, you're subject to CGT immediately on the entire amount even if you haven't received it yet so just something to be very very careful of when you're selling the business and you have these earn out or deferred consideration clauses other things that have tripped up some of our individual shareholders in the past is the cgt payment dates so there's these cgt payment dates are very different to the filing dates and where we run into a little bit of trouble is let's say you sign your contract in november and it mightn't close till late December, but suddenly you have to pay your tax by the 15th of December. So it's just being aware of your CGT dates, being aware of your filing dates. Um, also then um just being aware like of your what you've signed on your tax deed and whether you still have some obligations or responsibilities for some tax returns. Um, and this predominantly be around the corporation tax return. But also, if you don't have the responsibility, that you're able to see the tax return that has been filed so that you know that what was done was done correctly for the time that you owned the company. Um, And then other things are like, if you're staying on, is there an option to get termination payments? Will your pension payments still be there? Um, So those little things you should be aware of um, going forward.
1: Can I jump in on that? After you've paid all the tax, you need to make sure you've found a good home for it because interest rates <laughs> we you know have the, the plan for after actually from a financial perspective is really important as yes. well that you have a, a good home for, for for the money because um um it's a bit of a challenge at the moment. But um just just to close out on that.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Uh, I suppose Una the one thing that a lot of people will forget is under tax deed and my covenantor that essentially if something goes wrong, they come back after yeah. me and have money set aside for that, as it could be quite a, a shock to I a lot worry. of people. Yeah. And then, Amri, as your point there, very, very well put is that what do I do with my money with negative interest rates? I don't want to sit there losing money and obviously I don't want to go off and spend it on the next venture and lose it all as well. So it's quite a delicate balancing act as to how to use it and make sure it earns you a return. Thanks, Una and Marie, for your insight into what to consider when buying or selling a business. That is it for today. Tune into our Tax Time podcast next month, where we'll be discussing the latest tax issues that may affect your business. If you need more in the meantime, visit our website, where you'll find many fact sheets and insights into the topics we discussed today. Thanks for listening.